I'm a planner. I love to plan. Ask my wife. Uh, I love to work things out. I love to have a plan for things to come. And it's, it's, it's just enjoyable for me to work through a plan, come up with how the plan is going to work, and then put it in an a, into action. You know, I'm going to do this thing and this thing, and it's going to accomplish this task and this task. And, and one of my downfalls is if a plan doesn't work, then I get frustrated. And, and to be sure, uh, that's something I'm working on. But I love to plan. And what, what makes a plan really work, if you think about it, is not the plan itself. It's how the plan is executed. How it is followed. Pablo Picasso, the, the famous painter, Spanish painter, said this, Our goals can only be achieved through a vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act. There is no other route to success. And Pablo was right. You, your plan doesn't succeed unless you actually do it, unless you follow it. Many of you are great planners, but few of us are great followers of the plans that we prepare. And so when it comes to God's plan for the church, there's no less of an urgency and an importance on following it. I think we've seen that in Ephesians, way back in September when we started this series, you could see by the title on the screen, God's plan for the church, and we saw it laid out for us, what God has for us. And as we come to these final verses of the book of Ephesians, I believe we find here the challenge to live out God's plan for His church. Through all that we've discussed, from the, from the theology in chapters 1 through 3 to the practical outworking in chapters 4 through 6, we now need to live that out, to do it, and not just plan and talk about it. So I find here in these last few verses three core actions that you and I can take as a church, as individuals, to live out his plan for his body, the church. The first one from verse 19 is that we boldly share the gospel. Paul says, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This verse comes on, on the heels of the armor of God that we talked about last week. If you go back to verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's tacking on a prayer request for himself. As he's getting the Ephesians and us to think about always being ready to pray at any moment. He's asking prayer for himself. Which is interesting. Paul, Paul needed prayer. Paul, the, the, the apostle that we so revere in, in the New Testament... And rightfully so, he still needed prayer. So if Paul needed a prayer, we need it as well, if not more. Some things that he notes about this is that we cannot do it without God. He says, utterance may be given to me. 
That, that phrase, and for me, there at the beginning of verse 19, is, is this that continuation. So Paul, by using this phrase, realized that without God, he was not going to be a bold witness for Christ. In fact, that wouldn't happen at all without divine intervention. He therefore desired that the Ephesians would request God's help on his behalf. He recognized that he needed God, as do we. I kind of illustrate like this. If you remember growing up as a kid, as you got older, and I, it was probably this way for me as well, I always found it difficult to ask for help because I wanted to be a big boy and do it by myself. Right? When you were starting to get older, you wanted to do things more and more by yourself, but as you found time goes on, you needed help. And it was frustrating to you, maybe it wasn't to you, maybe it was to me, that mom or dad would come along and say, do you need help? You'd say, no, no, I got it. Whether it be tying your shoes or, or washing the dishes or whatever it might be, some task that you were doing, you found it hard to ask for help. And quite frankly, us guys have a problem with that today, asking for help. You know, we, our wives tell us you need to ask for help. Yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. That's just not something easy that we do. We don't ask for help. We think we can do it by ourselves. And when it comes to the gospel this morning, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, we cannot do it without God's help. It is not something we can do on our own. Because if we do it on our own, we fail. And so we need to speak the gospel. Notice that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. What is Paul saying? That phrase, the utterance may be given to me. The word may be given means to grant by formal action. And the grammar of the, of the word reveals that this is a wish or desire that can only be fulfilled by an outside source. Paul is wanting the, the words to say that they would be given to him. Not that they would come from within himself, but that they would be given to them. And who can do that but God? Paul expresses his need of the right words to say. That's the word utterance there. The right words to say when the opportunities are presented to share the gospel. For indeed, a God alone can grant this request. God made our mouth. God created language. He is the only resource we need to ensure that the gospel is communicated. We can think of Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, when Moses is, is making excuses for himself. You remember that? When Moses makes excuses for him not going and speaking before Pharaoh, what did God say to him? So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, Moses? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God is the one who enables us to speak the gospel. We need to be willing to do that. And Paul requests that the right words be given to him to speak the gospel. But not only to speak the gospel, but to confidently share the gospel. That I may open my mouth boldly. That, that phrase, I may open my mouth, points to the necessity of speech in preaching or sharing the gospel. 
We cannot simply share the gospel with our lives or with our written words. It has to be done with our spoken words. Paul knew that and stated that it was his need, that he needed to speak the gospel. And if Paul needed to speak the gospel some 2,000 years ago, is that not more of a necessity for us today? Now, people today talk about lifestyle evangelism and, and you know, living out the gospel, and there's a place for that. There's a place for that. But, but more importantly, as we see here from Ephesians chapter 6, there's an importance of speaking the gospel, using our words. And this is hard for me. I don't speak to people really well, which is a weird thing to say as a pastor. But nonetheless, I don't communicate very well with my words. And I, I feel the, the, the hesitancy when I do that. But yet, when I look at passages like this, Paul realized that he needed to speak the gospel, and so do you and I. Not, maybe not in a full gospel presentation, but as the opportunity is presented to us, whether it be we're in the store, or whether we we're visiting with friends at home, or we're just out walking around, we need to speak the gospel. Tell how Jesus saved us. Maybe that's where it starts. And then if they ask more questions, it goes on further from that. We cannot simply be just committed to living it out. We have to be willing to speak it. To tell people. The response is up to them, right? They are responsible for responding, but you and I have the responsibility to speak it. And so Paul asks that the Ephesians would pray for him, that that words would be given him to speak it. How? Boldly. The word boldly means the state of confidence. Paul recognized that the need to be confident in sharing the good news. Why? Because our natural human tendency is to cower and to be afraid. Right? We, we don't talk well with people. I don't, I don't really. I mean, I, I tend to think, my mind tends to go, okay, what are they going to think of me? How am I going to be portrayed? Are they going to hurt me? That type of thing. That's just natural for us to do. And for Paul, it was even more because where? He's where at this time? He's in prison. He is surrounded by guards. He is, he is facing untold number of trials. And, and the temptation to remain silent in the midst of the accusers must have been overwhelming. He could have just been silent in his testimony and not said too much, and that was a great temptation for him. Yet he desired to be bold in his witness so that the truth would be made known. I hope this encourages us. You know, Paul, the great preacher, the great apostle, was just like you and me. He struggled with sharing the gospel. He struggled with confidence in doing that. And we can take comfort that that is not an uncommon thing. I'll illustrate it this way. Before coming up here, I was working in carpentry construction uh, down in Iowa. And it was something I'd never done before, had no experience whatsoever, and I tell you what, the first several months were a struggle. I struggled with confidence. I struggled with screwing a nail into a hole. I mean, as silly as that is, I struggled with that. And that came out in my demeanor, in my words, where I would grow silent or I would just be all over the place, not knowing what to do. I didn't have confidence, and I struggled as well. We need confidence to share the gospel. Now, now, confidence or boldness does not mean arrogance. 
It doesn't mean that we get in people's faces and yell and scream at them and telling them they're going to hell unless they repent. There is no pride to be found when sharing the gospel. You can be bold, you can be confident without being proud or arrogant. I would draw upon the illustration several years ago. My wife and I, we went out to, she had to go to Boston for work. And so I went with her for a few days. And we ended up taking a game at Fenway Park, uh, watching Boston play Minnesota. And it was a great fun. It was on a Friday night before we had to leave the next day to come back. And so as we're getting out of Fenway Park, right in the middle of the road, and in Fenway Park, there's a cobblestone road that is designed just, just for people to walk to get to their cars to, as they're leaving and going to and from the park, the ball field. There was a gentleman sitting right in the middle of the road with a sign I can't remember if it was, I think it was on his neck, or I think maybe it was on the, on the ground right beside him, that basically said, you're going to hell. And he was giving pamphlets out as he, as he went. And, and he didn't say anything. But the sign said it all. You're going to hell. Repent. Now, is that true? Yes. But the way it came across was more pride and arrogance than boldness. You, you and I can be bold without being arrogant. Because our boldness does not come from in ourselves, it comes from God. To be confident in sharing the gospel. Notice also with me that we are focused on one goal, revealing the good news of God, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The word make known here means to reveal. It refers to special knowledge made known by God to humans and in turn is proclaimed other humans as well. So Paul was focused on revealing the truth. And what is the truth? It is the mystery of the gospel. Now that phrase needs to be taken as one. It's not the mystery, and the mystery is the gospel. Okay? It is the mystery to make known the mystery which is the gospel. So the gospel isn't mysterious. Paul was focused on proclaiming the mystery which is the gospel. It was once a mystery in time past, but no, is no longer. And Paul, as he talked about early in the book of Ephesians, was focused on proclaiming the great gospel of Jesus Christ. This was Paul's goal, that he would proclaim the gospel for people to hear, to tell it, and it should be ours as well. He mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, for I pre- if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast on, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul realized the necessity of speaking the truth of God's Word. And what is that truth? The truth that man is a sinner. He has sinned against God. He is separated from Him. And there is no way that man will be redeemed before God unless he comes to the point where he confesses his sin, his need of Jesus Christ as Savior, accepts that free gift of salvation, and is restored to God forever. That is the truth that Paul desperately wanted to proclaim and needed the boldness to do so. Notice also with me that boldness to share the gospel does not think about the consequences. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. What does that term mean? Ambassador means to be a representative. This was the current situation of Paul, that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. He was in prison. He was beaten. And other terrible things were done to him. 
but yet it did not impact his desire to share the good news, and neither should it impact ours. And we live in a, a culture in the world today that is increasingly anti-Christian. And you know what? That's okay. The suffering that comes from that, whether it be political or financial or whatever it might be, pales in comparison to our desire to share the gospel. So Paul was concerned not with the consequences, but with a boldness to share the gospel. Are we thinking that way as well? When you and I have opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ, are, does our mind run to the consequences, or are we running to the truth? Proclaiming to them, telling them, as we have opportunity, that God died for them, that he wants to save them. And we have a unique opportunity. We're looking to start here in a little over less than a month, a Wednesday afternoon Bible club for kids and teens. So boys and girls, be looking forward to that. And we live in an area here in International Falls where what we call biblical literacy is very rare. My wife said that, uh, this was several months ago when she was doing a junior church that downstairs, that there was a couple of kids that said, you mean God died for me? God loves me? There are children, there are adults who have no clue about this. We have a unique opportunity in our area to preach the gospel. Not a gospel of works, but a gospel of love that tells them that Jesus died for them and we are willing to suffer the consequences for the sake of that message. Boldness to share the gospel also comes from a requirement to proclaim the good news End of verse 20, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That, that phrase, I may speak boldly, is a little different. It means to express oneself freely. And again, the grammar of the word points to a desire to be fulfilled, and that it is a responsibility to undertake. Paul repeats this request because if he doesn't fulfill this, he will fail if he's not careful. He needs to speak it. The word ought means to necessity, a must. You know, I must do this. This goes back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Make disciples. How do we make disciples? By preaching the gospel and converting people through the power of Christ to the truth to the family of God. Jesus doesn't give an option for us in those two verses. It is a command. We're to make disciples. Each one of us ought to speak the gospel. And Paul uses that term ought to speak to remind us that words are essential to sharing the gospel. Not your life, not your letters or emails, although those are important. It's your words that are needed to speak the gospel. So let me ask you a question in light of that. Are you confidently sharing the gospel or fearfully sharing the gospel? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul noted that the, the, the gospel is powerful, and therefore I'm not ashamed of it, and I shouldn't be ashamed of it. As, I, as we live our lives, as I live my life here, I should not be ashamed of the gospel. I should be speaking it courageously and confidently, trusting in God for the results and leaving the response up to people that I talk to. 
But when you find yourself witnessing to someone, whether it be at work, whether it be in the, in the front lawn, whether it be at the gas station, are you doing it confident, courageously, not in yourself? Not, that's not where your boldness comes from. It comes from God. Are you doing it fearfully, timidly? Like, here, read this, and I'll talk to you later. I mean, you may not have a time for a, a lengthy conversation. That's okay. But are you boldly sharing the truth of God's Word with those who desperately need it? Paul recognized his need to boldly share the gospel, and we need to do the same thing. Second core action here this morning is that we are genuinely interested in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 21, But that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make things, all things known to you. So now we get into the closing part of the book. Paul is writing some personal notes here. And he does so by acknowledging that he knows the Ephesians want to know how he is doing. And so we desire to know the condition of other brothers and sisters in Christ. The Ephesians knew that Paul was in prison, but outside of that, they had no email, no texts, no, no video chats to fall back on. So they, they wanted to know how he was doing. Paul uses the term, my affairs, and, and that, that word is an idiom in, in, a, in the original language to describe a purchase, person's situation. They weren't just interested in knowing what Paul had to say, yet the Ephesians wanted to know how his life was going. And we might liken that to getting a life update. Uh, sometimes you see them on social media, emails you get them, or phone calls. And you, and you talk to the person, you read the person's life update. What's going on in my life? You kind of, uh, we used to do when I was growing up, um, Christmas letter would be a kind of our life update for my family. So my mom or dad would write out how we were doing and go through each child and each family member and, and talk about this, that, and other thing. And gave kind of every, all of our extended family and friends a life update, what's going on. And that's what the Ephesians were wanting to do. They were just wanting to see, to know his affairs and how I am doing. That, that phrase means to experience, what, to experience what is going on. And Paul, by using these two terms, acknowledges that the Ephesians love him and that they are concerned for him and he wants them to know how things are going. And so when necessary, we communicate our condition to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Paul acknowledges their concern, acknowledges their love, and so he makes arrangements. He sends this, this messenger, Tychicus, a, a beloved partner, someone who is, who is faithful in the ministry, to go and tell the Ephesians what's going on. The, Tychicus is mentioned several times in Acts and other Pauline epistles as a ministry partner of Paul's. You can look at Acts chapter 20, verse 4, Titus chapter 3, verse 12, and 2 Timothy 4, verse 12 as references to Tychicus's ministry. Notice also that Paul says, I have sent him to you uh, in verse 22. For I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So Paul is intending this, this word, I have sent, 
means to dispatch someone for purposes of communication. So, so Paul is intentionally going and sending Tychicus so that he has a message to bring. And the message is twofold. To inform and to encourage that you may know our affairs. So, so Tychicus is going to tell the Ephesian people, believers, how's it going? What's Paul up to? Is, is he doing well? And these different questions. But also to encourage the word comfort means to encourage. It, it's the, the word used by, to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. So by giving an update on Paul, Tychicus would encourage the hearts of the believers as he relieved their worries with the content of his message. So Paul is generally interested in wanting the Ephesians to know how he is doing because they love him and they care about him. They're genuinely interested in him as well. So from this example, let me ask you this morning, are you genuinely interested in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We as believers, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, talk a good game, but we don't play it very well. We can say that I'll pray for you, you know, I, you know I'll call you sometime, and then I, I know I do this. I don't follow up on it. I don't do it. I need to, we need to, from this example, see how critical it is to genuinely be interested in the lives of others. You know, we have technology today. Email, social media, phone calls, text, video chats. There are many ways that you and I can invest ourselves into the lives of our fellow believers in Jesus Christ, whether it be here in International Falls or in other places around our world. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities to genuinely invest yourself into someone and care for them as Paul and the Ephesians did? Let us not love in word or let us not love in talk or word, I'm going to misquote it, but in deed and in truth, in actions is where our love is found. We all need to be genuinely interested in others' lives, regardless of who it is. It could be some, another brother or sister in Christ that you just don't really get along with. But yet there's someone we can, you can show love to by asking them how they're doing, how are things going, how can I pray for you, and so forth. Finally, We acknowledge our need of God. Last core action. We acknowledge our need of God. Peace to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. These final words that Paul has for the Ephesians are words expressing his desire for them. And what are those things? There's several things here that we can note. Number one, we need His peace to guide our relationships in the church. Peace be to the brethren. Paul wants peace in their lives. What is that word peace? It's a state of well-being or wholeness. It's the quietness of the heart and mind that begets stillness amid chaos. The Ephesians' world is upside down. They're being, being persecuted for the faith at times. And they're, they're worried about Paul. And the persecution he's undergoing. 
Yet Paul desires that God's peace would be with them in their relationships. The peace of God which comes by the gospel is what conditions our relationships in and outside his body. That's what, that's what chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 is about. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. God and Christ is peace, and only God can grant this peace that brings harmony. And we need his peace. Why? Because we're still sinners, right? We still have conflict. We still have uh, trouble in the midst of us. And so we need the peace of God, that state of quiet confidence in the midst of chaos to guide our decisions and our words. Secondly, we need His love to be our attitude towards one another. With love, with faith. It reminds us of Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love is supposed to be the dominating attitude between us as believers. And unfortunately, many Christians do not act this way. This love puts others' needs before itself. It's self-sacrificial love that does not even consider itself in the conversation. It's me putting your needs, your wants, your desires, no matter what they are, ahead of my own in our relationship. And notice what he says, love with faith. Now some commentators say faith is a separate characteristic here. Others kind of qualify it with love. I, I think the best way to understand this these term, love with faith, is that this love is deepened and strengthened by faith in God. God defines how love is to be practiced, and he gives strength in practicing it. And as we grow in our faith, we understand more and more how to love. And he ends that little verse there from the God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God can grant these attributes which we need to function as his church. All this stuff we've been talking about, the, the peace, the love, the grace here in verse 24, and everything else in the book of Ephesians is only enabled by God. We need him. I need him to function as he plans for me in his church, and you do as well. We need His love. And lastly, we need His grace to fulfill the responsibilities He has given to us. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Paul begins and ends his letter with grace. I hope you've seen it through our time in Ephesians <laughs> Grace is what has given us the gospel. Grace is what is bringing us to Christ. Grace is what is helping us in our relationships, inside and outside of the body, at home and in public. Grace, grace, grace. It is the unmerited favor of God that gives without any requirements on its part. You are here today in your Christian life because of God's grace. You are able to be here functioning in this church because of God's grace. Not your works, not your attitude, not your action. It is the grace of God. 
So if you get nothing from the book of Ephesians that we've talked about the past several months, be thrilled, be awed at the grace of God in your life. It is by grace that you are saved. And it is by grace that you live. And it is grace, as the hymn writer says, that will see you home. God's grace is amazing, amen? It is truly amazing that God is gracious to us. This grace comes with a reminder, though. No, this grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Some would see this as, well, this is works now. We earn grace. No, what Paul is doing here is he reminding his readers that grace is free. The word sincerity means state, the state of not being subject to decay, dissolution, interruption. Another way of saying this word sincerity is unceasingly or uncorruptedly. And while grace is free... Right? Paul reminds us that we need to love God consistently as His body. Yes, we have grace from Christ to exist in this church, but we still need to love God consistently. God has given us grace. Let's not waste this opportunity to love Him. And unfortunately, some years after Paul wrote Ephesians, the Apostle John writes to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, and says, Nevertheless, I have this against, thee, against you, that you have left your first love. Some 20 to 30 years later, the Ephesian church was full of people who did not love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity or unceasingly. And while you and I can revel in the grace of God and just be awed by it, let us never forget our responsibility to love Him. To respond to Him in obedience. To praise Him in our worship. And to love Him with our actions. It's very easy for us to be drowning in the truth of God's Word as we should and be thankful for it, but there's also a danger that we forget who God is and what He's done. And respond in kind. Love God unceasingly. Never stop loving Him. That leads me to ask this question this morning. Do you have a desperate need of God? Are you here this morning recognizing that without God you cannot have peace, you cannot have love, you cannot have grace? You need God. You alone are not sufficient to do the plan that He has laid out for us in Ephesians. You cannot do it. Only God enabling you through His power, through His attributes, through His work in your life allows you to accomplish His plan. And let me by a sub-point, if you will, address those who do not believe this morning. Maybe you haven't come to that place of of faith in Christ. Maybe you're just trusting in your church attendance or your knowledge of God as sufficient enough to have a relationship with Him. May I encourage you then to consider again what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, if you're here this morning, there's never been that time in your life where you confessed that you were a sinner 
that there was no way you were getting to God apart from Jesus Christ, and you acknowledge your need of Him and accept His free gift of salvation, you are lost. You are apart from Him. You do not have a relationship with Him. You need Him to save you. Do you have that desperate need of God this morning? Because you do. Without Him, you're dead. You're lost. Going back again to Ephesians chapter 2. Your walk in the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. You're under Satan's control. You live as a nature, by nature a child of wrath. You're underneath God's judgment. But again, praise God. You don't have to stay there. God desires that you come to Him in repentance and faith, trusting in Him for salvation so that He may pour His peace, love, and grace onto you. Do you realize that He wants that for you? He wants the opportunity to pour out His blessings, to pour out His love, peace, grace, and all of His attributes, all of His, his, his wisdom, His love onto you. But you cannot do that because you are not a part of His family. But you can be. And I would encourage you this morning to, as we t- take time afterwards to fellowship, come talk to me. Come pull some, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not me, maybe someone you know who's a believer. You, can, can we talk? There's some questions that I have. But do you and I, whether, whether as a believer acknowledging our need of God or an unbeliever acknowledging salvation that we need, do we have a desperate need of God? Plans are necessary, aren't they? But yet they're only successful when they are followed. Here in Ephesians, God has given us a plan for His church, and we need to follow it. How do we follow it? I think we've seen here in these six verses, these three core actions. We boldly share the gospel, depending upon Him to do that, speaking the truth of the gospel when we have opportunity. We are genuinely interested in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't just casually talk to them. We intentionally interact with them to see how they're doing, to see if we can encourage them. Then we acknowledge our need of God. We need His peace. We need His love. We need His grace. For without those things, we fail. So as we begin to look forward to what God has in store for us as a church, let us, and that includes me, be committed to living out his plan for his church actionably. Not, not just talking about it, but actually doing it. So that his name may be lifted up for all in International Falls to see.